Welcome to the Big Sky Astrology Podcast with April Elliott Kent and me, producer and co-host Jen Brown. Hey friends, Jen here. Today is March 23rd, 2020. And with me, of course, is someone who's an appropriate social distance away from me, (laughs) but verbally nearby and emotionally close at hand, my friend, astrologer April Elliott Kent. How you doing, April? I'm doing okay, Jen. I'm doing my uh, social distancing here with Saturn and Aquarius. Yeah. Friendships like ours are not impacted in the same way that real world ones are. So delightful to see you. And you sound very peppy, may I say. Very upbeat. Well, thank you. You look as close as ever. You look as close to me as you normally ever do. That is true. You would have no idea that the entire world is completely upside down from the last time we spoke, would you? No. How are you coping there in Minneapolis? I was doing pretty well with all of the anxiety and stress until our kitchen faucet went kerflooey last night. (laughs) How did it go? That sent me over the edge. Kerfluey. Kerfluey, okay. I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> or more appropriately, drip, drip, drip. You have said that your father is a plumber, so is that a technical term that you picked up from him? Kerfluey? That is not a technical term, no. Okay. And being a plumber's daughter, I don't have the skills, I have to say, <laughs> although I can sneak out a sink if I have to. But luckily, I do have a couple of handy nibblings, and one of them is coming over today to fix it for us. And you know, nibbling is my gender neutral term for niece or nephew. Yes. Well, excellent. And and aren't they helpful little people to come help out Auntie Jan? Super helpful. They're awesome. Well, good luck with that. Because I was telling you that we had a planned power outage overnight. And that was the last thing that we really felt that we needed. Yes. At a time like this. But yeah, woke up this morning and everything was back to normal. So can't really complain. But yeah, the anxiety and the tension has been ramping up a little bit, I must say. Yeah, it's been a lot and a lot of people are feeling it. Yeah. You said that you might have some thoughts for people in that regard. I thought it might be helpful to talk a little bit about anxiety and stress and perhaps what some people can do to help. What I've learned is that usually anxiety is future focused. Mm -hmm. A lot of people are worried about what will become of them. Will they stay healthy? Do they have enough to get by? Should they need to self quarantine or stay home. Some people don't have homes. Some people's kids, the only meal they get is when they go to school and schools are getting canceled. So a lot of people are feeling stressed out. Right. What happens during times of anxiety and stress is that the lizard brain takes over, the amygdala. Okay, I'm picturing the Geico gecko about now. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Okay. Amygdala is Greek for almond, and it's an almond-shaped area of the brain that takes over. And it's the part of the brain that's responsible for fight or flight. It's responsible for fear and it's responsible for freezing up. And so what happens during times of stress is that stress takes us out of prefrontal cortex mode and that's the part of the brain that's responsible for logic and empathy and creativity and stress puts us in that fight or flight mode, that lizard brain mode. So one way to help calm yourself is to connect to the here and now. And that's why techniques around mindfulness and being present are so important. Mm -hmm. Because when you recognize the present moment, it helps slow down your thinking. And it helps you kind of detach from that fight or flight mode. Yeah. And there's many ways to do that, to ground yourself in the present. I can think back to a couple of episodes, April, you and I have talked about. An episode where there was a breathing technique that we talked about and an episode using a grounding technique. Mm -hmm. And I can link those in the show notes. Those are free, easy things 
things that people can do to help bring them out of lizard brain mode and put them back into prefrontal cortex <laughs> mode. But you can also just do simple things like counting your breaths. Inhale on one, exhale on two, inhale on three, exhale on four, up to a count of ten, and then start over. Other things, if you have a pet, you know, you can cuddle your dog, you can cuddle your cat, you can notice the feel of their fur on your skin. That brings you into the present. Spike is not going to stand still for that. I'll just tell you that right now. But it's a good point generally. <laughs> My dogs are all over that, so I'm lucky that way, I guess. <laughs> if people are comfortable financially, and I do realize that a lot of people aren't, there's an app called Headspace. It's a pretty popular app. Have you heard of it? Mm -mm. Unless you tell me about it. I don't think I have. It's a fantastic meditation app, mm. and we're not getting paid anything, by the way for me to mention this, but if Headspace would like to sponsor Welcome us. Welcome new sponsor, Headspace. We haven't had an imaginary sponsor in some time. So. It has been a while since we've had a free imaginary sponsor. Well, that sounds good. I mean, I like all of those suggestions. You know, the point is just to stop and notice and breathe. It just slows down your brain so you can gain some clarity and find solutions that are productive. Right. And the irony of it, of course, is Saturn's just gone into Aquarius. And as we were talking about last week, that's a very future-oriented sign. Yes. I think we've all been kind of gearing up and ready to start hit the ground running with regard to future plans and think, wow, what do I want my world to look like in the next few years? Yeah. And this is in stark contradiction to that. Even though Saturn is about boundaries and Aquarius is about socializing, and what first springs to mind is, wow, what a perfect transit for social distancing. Yeah. But really, like I point out in my column for last week, Saturn and Aquarius people are some of the most social and collectivist people that I've ever known. <laughs> so the potential is there to grow actually quite stronger collectively. Yeah. Look, you and I have become, I think, pretty good friends, and yeah. we've mm -hmm. never met in person. And mm -hmm. we're kind of living in an age where that's much more possible. But it is very ironic to think it at the time when we're starting to finally think, wow, you know, we can get beyond all of this Capricorn chaos and move towards a future that looks a little brighter, that ironically, the thing that will probably pull us back and mellow us out a little bit is to stay where we are right now. Yeah. And I think part of that is realizing that the future is not some abstract thing that's out there waiting for us to catch up with it. And this has always been my feeling about astrology, and particularly when it comes to prediction, because people have this sense that the future is static. And it's already formulated, and we're on a timeline, and we're just catching up to these things. And that has never really gone with my worldview. My worldview has always been one of we are co-creating our future right now. And in order, perhaps, to have the kind of future that we want moving forward during this increasingly Aquarian time that we're moving into, it's about mastering the present. Because in the present is the seed of the future, and that's the whole concept of astrology, hmm. that things that are born in a moment of time have the qualities of that moment in time, and through the years we see that come to fruition. We see that seed grow and become what it was meant to be. That's really beautiful. Yeah, I like what you're saying on a couple of different levels, because 
It goes back to something I wrote about at the Virgo full moon, telling the story of how my mother always told me when things got overwhelming, just clean one drawer. Yes. Because if you do something, you <laughs> get this. Great. Yeah, you get the sense that things are manageable. Yeah. If you can do one thing. So we're all looking for our coping techniques. And thank you for sharing those ideas because it's really useful to me. Because mm-hmm. I was sharing with you before we started recording. I, I have to tell you, I've been pretty rattled. And part of that's because I'm at a little more of a vulnerable population because I've had some respiratory issues in the past. And Mm -hmm. frankly, I'm not getting any younger. So I've got that concern on top of and all the other stuff that everybody's coping with. But boy, I'm sharing your concerns because I was really thinking about that as I was sending out a mailing last week about how many people are, for instance, even if they're in a situation where they're not going to be able to work at home, but their kids aren't able to go to school, what are they going to do? Yeah. And it's going to impact all of the beloved businesses in my neighborhood that we patronize and all kinds of things. So we have who we are all in this together. And we do have to kind of hold fast to each other and trust each other and help each other and, and all of that. For sure. I like what you really said about what do you have control over? Because That can be really important and really helpful. There's all this stuff going on outside of us that we really have no control over. But if you can just look at the things on your list that you do have control over, that can help. You might have control over cleaning one drawer, but you can't control whether it's snowing right now in Minneapolis. Holy cow, the snow is coming down. Is it? (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) I have no control over that. No. It's big, chunky, fat flakes dropping from the sky. Wow. I love that. So I have no control over that, but I could go clean a drawer. Exactly. Exactly. And there are, by the way, I should throw out, there are free meditation apps if you have an iPhone or any kind of a smartphone. Sure. And stuff on YouTube, free meditation. Totally. Yeah. Sessions and all kinds of stuff. So take care of yourselves out there and take care of yourselves emotionally and mentally and in every way. This could be a long haul. We have no way of knowing. And it's a marathon, not a sprint. Yeah. And notice what you're grateful for, too. You have control over that. And that's something that would ground you into the present. That is true. I am grateful for for you. I just was going to say that. I'm grateful for you. And I'm grateful for everybody that listens to our little (laughs) venture here. And and I mean, so much to be grateful for. So that's always a good reminder. Yeah. Okay. Well, astrologically, let's see what's going on here. I should just be quiet so we can play the Moonwatch theme. Do it. Moonwatch. Every time I hear that Moonwatch theme, it makes me think, do you remember that old video of Dramatic Chipmunk? I don't, know. Oh my gosh, I have to send this to you. Yes, please. There's this chipmunk kind of looking over his shoulder in this dramatic oh. music place. Yeah, that's our Moonwatch theme. <laughs> makes me think. I think I do know what you're talking about. Do send it to me, though. I will, and we'll link to it in the show notes, too, because everyone should enjoy Dramatic Chipmunk. <laughs> so Moonwatch, so it's another new moon. We're racking them up here. How many is that for us? Oh, well, we started Sagittarius. So Sagittarius, Capricorn, Aquarius, Pisces. She's counting on her fingers, everybody. You can't see that, but I can. That's what fingers are for. So how many is it? This is the fifth one. Wow. That we've covered on the podcast. And we know you like the number five. I really do. It's my favorite Mm -hmm. number. And so this falls at four degrees and 12 minutes of Aries on March 24th in the wee hours of the morning. And the sapien symbol for this one is a triangle with wings. I love that. When I first started referring to the sapien symbols, or I'd run across them when other people wrote about them, I would get very impatient and a little irritated with them because to me they sounded stupid and like I couldn't make any sense of them. It was symbols like this that used to trip me up. 
Because what the heck do you do with that? A triangle with wings. I like it a lot. Well, I do too. And now I get a picture. Tell me the picture that you get with it. Oh, I have a million pictures in my head all at the same time. I picture a pyramid. I think of things that come in three, like the Trinity, three stooges. (laughs) I think of the Greek symbol delta, which is a triangle and means change. Mm. I think of a chrysalis. And April knows this, but Joni and I have raised some monarchs. A chrysalis actually looks a little bit like a triangle. And I think of the triangle with wings, of course. Mm -hmm. Monarch butterfly emerges and then it hangs there and it dries its wings and it looks like a triangle as it's hanging there. Mm -hmm. But there's other things I think of too, like pie. A piece of pie is a triangle. That's the best. Oh, a tortilla chip. Yes. (laughs) Aren't you glad you asked me? I really am. (laughs) Triangles are our friends. Well, when I think of a triangle, of course, I think of a trine aspect in astrology and all of the signs of the same element. There are three to each element and that they form trine aspects to each other, 120 degrees or one third of the horoscopic wheel. Yeah. So trines to me always talk about forces that are unfettered, things that just move forward without impediment and at great speed. So this symbol to me, especially falling in the sign of Aries, which is very energetic and very forward moving, This symbol really speaks to me of things moving quickly, people being a little bit impulsive, because the sun at this new moon is not yet within orb of all of the squares that we'll make to those Capricorn planets, which we talked about last week when we were talking about the equinox. Right on. That's going to come just a little bit later in the month. But for now, it's just there feeling its oats. The new moon point in the chart for the new moon is not making any really terrible aspects except it is square the lunar nodes, which happens on the previous day, March 23rd. Okay, That might be worth talking about because this puts us at the midpoint of the eclipse year. Mm -hmm. If you're having eclipses as we have been that have been falling in the signs of Capricorn and Cancer, and we know that the sun is in those signs in late December into January and then late June into July, then we know that the points in between those, so when the sun or the new moon specifically are in Aries or Libra, what we get is a triggering effect because that means the new moon is squaring, for instance, the solar eclipse at four degrees of Capricorn, which was on Christmas Day right, or Boxing Day, depending on where you live. And then this summer, at the summer solstice... This coming, you mean? Yeah, this coming summer, on June 21st, there's a solar eclipse at zero degrees of Cancer. Wow. So this is a new moon that's activating both of those eclipse points. So what you'll want to do is look in your chart for if you have any planets between especially zero and four degrees of Aries, Cancer, Libra, or Capricorn. Okay. Because those are really getting stirred up by this new moon. Because it's bringing with it the energy of those eclipses, the ones before and the one coming up. So the story that was started on the 25th or 26th of December is having a turning point right now. Yeah, that's exactly how that works. And it'll work on the other end, too, in the fall, where we get new moon in Libra. Sure. So although people are really awake to eclipses, you know, a week or two around the time that they're happening and everyone's writing about them and talking about them and thinking about them. We tend to overlook these very volatile points within the annual cycle of the nodes and eclipses that say, yeah, that stuff is really alive right now. (laughs) And we're feeling compelled to act on 
changes that were maybe simmering under the surface sure. back around Christmas time and things perhaps we're looking forward to come the summer and plans that we're making for a few months from now and thinking, hmm, what do I need to be doing now? Right now, a lot of us are making a lot of big adjustments yeah. because things are getting canceled and people are canceling their travel and conferences they're going to and all kinds of things. It's a very interesting moment that we find ourselves in. Right. I will give a quick plug for my Moonshadow Eclipse report. I was going to plug your Moonshadow oh, Eclipse report. I anticipated you. I was going to say, April doesn't know I'm going to say this, but she has a fantastic <laughs> eclipse report that you can order at BigSkyAstrology.com. Tell us about it. Yeah, it's called Followed by a Moonshadow. And it covers three years worth of eclipses. And it just kind of follows them through your chart. Mm -hmm. So you can see eclipses in different houses of your chart, in aspect to planets, where the cycle has previously played out in your life. And it can be helpful. So it's something that people might want to look into. Just go to BigSkyAstrology.com. Look under eclipses in the main menu and you'll see it there. And that's something you can't get anywhere else because she created this. So it's not sold on other websites. You can only get it at BigSkyAstrology.com. It's exclusive. It is exclusive. Let me ask a question about the new moon. Please. The sign of Aries is about initiating and new moons are about initiating. Does that mean that this is a new moon especially that wants us to take action? It's interesting to think of new moons as signaling action. Okay. I'm not sure they do. I guess I think starting something, maybe. I understand what you said. It's initiating. That doesn't always show up on the outside, mm -hmm. I think. I'm just trying to differentiate between them because it's more that you're at a starting point, but you don't necessarily always take action at a new moon because the idea of what you want to do isn't fully formulated yet. Ah. So it's like you're in the chrysalis, you know? Nice. That's the new moon. And Aries is an action-oriented sign. Mm -hmm. The image I like to get from the new moon in Aries is this is the end of winter time going into spring. And when you first go out into your garden, to try to plant some things. Think of the hard work that you have to do to prepare your garden. Right. You have to get something really heavy and really sharp to dig into the soil. And Aries is ruled by Mars, which has an association with sharp objects and tools. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> it sounds funny, but I mean, it's about the plowing. It's about the hard work of tilling the soil and getting ready to receive the seeds mm. that you're going to put in. Mm. So it is very action-oriented, I think, that Aries New Moon, yes. in a way that not all new moons are. Perhaps a better way to say it would have been they're both sort of at the starting line. You're a runner running a race, and you're at the starting line. Absolutely true. Aries, you're there, and new moons, you're there. You're at the starting line. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it is kind of a souped-up new moon in that way. And it's very close, of course, to the equinox. It's just a few days after. Yeah. That gives it another little oomph as well. And again, we're back to that idea of frustration because this is the spirit that we're all responding to inside. But the healthy outlets for that are being inhibited at the moment. Right. And that speaks probably to all those Capricorn planets that eventually will be squared by the Aries. The atmosphere is not one that makes it easy to go out and be very active and do lots of things and really be a mover and shaker in the world. Totally. So it's a little frustrating. 
But it goes back to, well, what can you do? I mean, maybe literally start a garden. <laughs> I mean, that's what we're thinking because we're like, yeah, getting produce is kind of a pain at the moment. Yeah. Our diet's very centered around that. If you're somewhere where there is still snow on the ground, you can plant seeds. Yeah, and germinate things. In your house. Yes, in your terrarium, mm-hmm. in your little window <laughs> garden. Yes. So that is the sun and the new moon and the lunar nodes. Very good. We also have in gentler news, our friend V. Venus, still very lovely and languid and life-affirming in Taurus, will be making two different trines to a couple of our Capricorn friends, Jupiter and Pluto. Okay. On March 27th in the evening, so it's March 28th everywhere else, Venus will make a trine to Jupiter. And I just picked a little paragraph of just a line from my book on astrological transits to get some inspiration for this. And what I had written was, Your desire to experience something new, which would be Jupiter, is briefly awakened by an appealing person, social opportunity, or piece of art, and that's Venus. Nice. Remember that Venus's aspects by transit are very fast. We're not talking about something like Saturn going into Aquarius that will be influencing us for two and a half, three years. We're talking about a three days of feeling Venus with Jupiter. But you get Venus and Jupiter together, they're considered the most benefic planets. Venus is called the lesser benefic. Jupiter is called the greater benefic. And when they get together, then presumably the forces of good and good luck and pleasure are accentuated. And generosity. Generosity. Absolutely. People could use a little of that right now. And on a practical level, because Venus and Jupiter are both in Earth signs. And they say it's all good and well to send, as the cliche goes, hopes and prayers or whatever it is. But it's really important, especially at times like these, to in some practical way reach out to people in generosity Mm -hmm. and fellowship. Generosity and fellowship, Jen. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I was with my friends this past weekend and they enjoyed how you went with it. That's right. That's awesome. Well, the other aspect that Venus will be making is a trine to Pluto, and that is also on March 28th in the evening. Okay. Just about eight o'clock. So the thing that I wrote in my book about that was not quite as uplifting, and I think I'd like to revise it, but it says, this is the transit that got Persephone into trouble. Oh, boy. Standing in a meadow looking Venus enchanting, she caught the attention of Pluto who pulled her down into the underworld. This is a transit when something lovely awakens your least lovely impulses. And I'm not going to back away from that completely. We have been (laughs) seeing people act pretty badly in the presence of toilet paper, for instance. And hand sanitizer. And hand sanitizer. (laughs) You must let us know about Persephone because people might not know that story. The story is that Persephone was traipsing along and caught the idea of Pluto, the god of the underworld who's the wealthiest of the gods, a very powerful god, but lives in a place that's not real great, right? He's in the underworld. There's fire and shredded clothes. and Hades isn't a fun place to hang out. No, but he's the god of all the wealth that is found underground. Diamonds and oil and precious gems and all of the rest of it. So that's why we know there's great value to Pluto and to Pluto's experiences and processes, but they don't feel that great when we're going through them. Right. My colleague and friend Michelle Gould said something in a talk. It really struck me the way she said it. She said, if you have Pluto in aspect to a planet by transit or in your birth chart or anything, its job is to burn away anything that is not in keeping 
with the nature of the planet that it's contacting. Hmm. So Pluto with Venus, the two of them together, is Pluto is burning off anything, she said, that doesn't look like love. Okay. It's a little bit reversed here because it's Venus coming to Pluto. So what this is, is Venus coming into the underworld and making it more lovely hmm. and more enchanting and more beautiful. Yeah. If you look at it from Pluto's point of view, it definitely was something lovely coming into the environment. Persephone that awakened his least lovely impulses. He wanted to possess her. He abducted her, kept her prisoner. So we can go one of two ways with Pluto and Venus. And one of them's really unpleasant, really negative. But by accentuating the Venus part of it, which is really the hallmark of this particular fleeting transit, is to say, bring what is lovely to the parts of life that are very trying. Right. And that's more music, and it's more beauty, it's nice food, it's if you don't feel comfortable getting together with people in person right now, it's getting on Skype or Zoom and having calls with people that are really important to you or, God forbid, picking up the phone, which none of us does anymore. <laughs> I hate talking on the phone. I really hate it. And if somebody with the moon in Gemini doesn't like talking on the phone, you know we're at a weird point in history. Right. So, yeah. April has moon in Gemini, for those of you who didn't know. I do. So those are the thoughts I had. What were you thinking about these Venus? One thing is that if there's a way to channel this focus that you can have with Venus-Pluto into a way that helps others right now, that would be really lovely. It's always lovely. It's always a good impulse. Especially right now. Well, trying times tell us what people are made of. Yeah. And when we are driven by... I fear we don't always act the best. It's lizard brain. It's lizard brain. Mm -hmm. And that's what we have to overcome. Yeah. Part of Venus, especially in Taurus, is that thing about trusting the world that we live in. Mm. And the world has shown us its bad side again and again. We know that bad things can happen in the world. But Venus in Taurus is that part of us that trusts that the world can be a beautiful, sane place and capable of providing great pleasure to the experience of being alive. Otherwise, just the entire process of being alive becomes an obstacle course, just a series of unpleasant events that we have to overcome. Mm -hmm. And Venus says, well, no, there should be something about it that's very pleasurable. And that's what is worth celebrating this week as Venus is making these nice aspects, because the sun, sure enough, in Aries, will make squares to those Capricorn planets right. in the next couple of weeks. And there will be obstacles, and there are things that we'll have to work very hard to overcome. But Venus right here, right now, is saying, okay, but remember that there's this other side of life and things that are worth enjoying and luxuriating in. The here and now. I'm thinking a bath would be super nice. Oh, you should do it. I think I will. It's only recently that I've started thinking about how, you know, you mentioned Venus coming to Pluto versus the other way around, and that it's really Venus bringing the aspect versus Pluto bringing the aspect to Venus. That's just a new way for me as an intermediate student of astrology mm. to start thinking about things, and it's really helpful. Good. Yeah, it was helpful for me, too, to put it together in that way, because the feeling's very different. Yeah. Pluto, as we know, is an aspect that's going to take three years if it's making contact with Venus in your birth chart. But Venus coming to Pluto is a quick one, and it can trigger Pluto. But since the aspect this week is a trine, it's much more of the nature of hopefully something nice that disarms our 
more difficult impulses. You know, let's hold hands instead of slapping each other or exactly do an elbow bump or whatever. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> whatever the appropriate social distancing thing is. Well, you know, the god of the underworld fell in love with Persephone. That Pluto side of us can be disarmed and made less beastly. It's like, it's just beauty in the beast. That's a retelling of the Persephone myth, if that's helpful for people. So here's an elbow bump to you, my friend, far away. That is social distance. Yeah. Well, that's everything we have on our show sheet. Do you think we've covered it all? I think we've done it. Yeah. We've done it. Hooray. Yep. Well, thank you once again for listening to the Big Sky Astrology Podcast. We come to you first thing in the morning every Monday. If you like what you're hearing, we hope that you will subscribe so that you don't miss any episodes. You can read the show notes and full transcripts of each episode at our website, BigSkyAstropod.com. There you can also leave comments about each episode. And if you're enjoying the show, go to BigSkyAstropod.com and contribute a dollar or 100 or whatever you can afford. Or you know what? Take your dollar and give it to someone that needs it this week. I mean, not that we don't need it, but, you know, it's hard times out there. And just do something really good with your dollar. That's what we're asking. Jen. Huh? How about that? Listen to how Venusian you're being. I love that. (laughs) I second that emotion. And do tell a friend if you're enjoying the podcast. We just love seeing you here. And thank you for being with us this little bit of time each week. And if you enjoyed the show today, write us a little note on BigSkyAstropod.com or... Do it in iTunes if you'd rather do that. Yay. Or on whatever platform you're listening. Thanks. Perfect. Well, join us again bright and early next Monday. And until then, keep your feet on the ground. And your eyes on the stars. Thank you for listening. To learn more about April Elliott Kent, please check out her website, BigSkyAstrology.com, where you can sign up for her newsletter, read her thought-provoking weekly essays, purchase her books, sign up for a personal astrology reading, and more. That's all for today. If you like what you're listening to, please take a moment to rate and review this podcast and hit subscribe to stay current with new episodes. You can follow Big Sky Astrology on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Big Sky Astrology. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll catch you next time.